Well, good morning, everyone. As I mentioned earlier, today we conclude our six-month study of the book of Galatians. And we will be in chapter 6, in verses 11 through 18. I'd invite you to turn there. Now, if you don't happen to have your own Bible, I would encourage you to grab the Bible that is provided for you in the seat in front of you. You can pull that uh, Bible out. We call it the Pew Bible. And you can find our passage on page 975. So go ahead and grab that Bible and open up page 975. If you don't own your own Bible... We would love to be able to give you one that you could read and study at home. We have a stack of Bibles available for free out in the entryway of the church. So after the service, if you don't have your own Bible, you can pick one up and read and study it at home. Now, we've called our study of the book of Galatians, No Other Gospel. You see, we all know that we need a gospel. We know that there is something off in the world that we live in. There's a feeling that things are not the way that they are supposed to be. Sometimes people describe this feeling as feeling homesick. Other times it's been described as a longing or desire that nothing seems to satisfy. It's the hole in your heart that nothing seems to fill. Now there are times when life is going well and things seem to be in order, but for most of our lives, we are either entering a time of hardship in the midst of hardship or just recovering from hardship. When you get real with people, you find that despite outward appearances, most have a major tragedy that they are dealing with in some capacity. They personally have a medical condition that is Limiting. They're caring for a disabled parent. They're raising a child with behavioral issues. Marriages are struggling. Work is dehumanizing. Social life is lacking. Not to say that life is not without its joys. Of course it is. God is gracious. But if you believe the Facebook profile of your best friend, that your friend is telling you the true story of their life, you are deluding yourself. Because life is hard. And the major insight of the religions of the world is that life is suffering. So what are we to do about this suffering? Is there hope? What do you do? Well, historically, there have been a few responses that can be put under major headings, there is what you might call the hedonistic response. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Life is hard, so fill your life with as many pleasures as you possibly can. Indulge every craving to try to get through the hardship. There is the stoic response. Just grin and bear it. Life is hard for everyone, so shut up and bear your load. Stop complaining. There is the Eastern or Buddhist approach. There is no suffering. Suffering is merely a delusion. Reality is not real and therefore we must merely stop feeling anything at all. Both joys and sorrows. Because when we feel nothing, we don't suffer. And then there's the legalist approach. Which Paul is coming against in the book of Galatians. This approach says... Control the suffering. 
If I create the proper set of rules and boundaries in my life, I can control the hurt of the world to such a degree that it will be predictable. If someone is suffering, it's because they have broken some rule. And I can avoid suffering or at least keep it at bay by doing everything that I'm supposed to do. Either religiously, politically, socially, or medically. If I follow the rules of life, then I can keep the suffering of the world at bay. Deaden it. Bear it. Ignore it. Control it. Whatever path you follow, that is your gospel. That is your answer to the hardship of this world and the struggle of your own life. Because the word gospel means good news. It is how you seek to relieve your own hardship. Now the word of God agrees that we do have a problem. Yet it does not leave us to figure out how to find peace from the constant war. Rather, it is an announcement of freedom from this suffering. It is an advertisement of the true path to a life renewed, a publication of peace. For the gospel says that the problem of our suffering is rooted in our broken relationship with our Creator. Each one of us as individuals and humanity as a whole has chosen a path of rebellion against God. We've chosen the very slavery from which we now desire freedom. But God in His love became one of us. He was born among us 2,000 years ago as the man Jesus of Nazareth. He joined Himself to us, suffering everything that we suffer, feeling all the same struggles we feel. And then He offered His life as a substitute for our own, in exchange. He freely offers even now, I will take your suffering and I will give you my peace. I will take your sin and I will give you my holiness. I will take your disease and I will give you my wholeness. And to accomplish this redemption, He poured out His blood upon the cross. He suffered in His body and His soul all that we deserve to suffer. And He says, come to Me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? Because it declares to the world that is suffering that that central reality of suffering has been defeated. Sin has been destroyed. And in the death of Christ upon the cross, death itself has died. And all who would place their faith and trust in Him will be saved from sin and suffering, and death. But if this is true, then it means that you must abandon every other gospel. To place your faith in Christ means that you must abandon your hedonism, your stoicism, your eastern mysticism, and your religious legalism. That is what the book of Galatians has been about abandoning all other sources of salvation for the one and only true path where we find forgiveness, freedom, peace, joy, love, and life everlasting. Today we come to the end of our study. 
We come to Paul's words of farewell in which he takes up the pen in his own hand and writes a final plea both to the Galatians and to all who would read this letter throughout the history of the church. Trust in no other gospel but in Christ alone. So hear now the word of the Lord. Galatians 6, verses 11 through 18. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now. Lord, and we have gratitude in our hearts that throughout the decades and centuries you have preserved this letter first inspired by Your Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul and delivered to the church in Galatia. We pray, O God, that Your Spirit now would be living and active and that Your Word would cut to the very joint and marrow, very separation of soul and spirit, that we who are cut by the Word might be healed by Christ. We pray this in His holy name. Amen. I guarantee we're going to win. So were the boastful words of both Joe Namath and Anthony Smith. Now, we remember Joe Namath because he made good on his boast. But the name of Anthony Smith, I am guessing that no one here knows who that is because he was unable to follow up on his promise. Namath led his underdog Jets to victory over the Colts in Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl uh, III, securing his place in NFL lore. On the other hand, Smith's Steelers uh, were roundly defeated by the Patriots in a game where Smith was burned on multiple long passes. Boasting can either make you a hero or a heel. If you guarantee it, you better be able to back it up. And in our passage, the apostle uses this term boasting twice. And a proper understanding of this term is important for understanding our text as a whole. For the word translated as boast throughout the New Testament has a broader meaning than merely bragging about your abilities. When I think of boasting, I think of that prideful middle schooler who can't stop talking about all the A's he has on his report card 
or the college basketball player who beats his chest after a dunk. I think of the endless Facebook and Instagram posts about personal achievements. Yet boasting has a deeper meaning than merely excessive pride in your achievements. Rather, as John Stott explains it, it is to glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live for. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, and absorbs our time and energy. In a word, it is our obsession. You see, our boast is what we live for. It is what we trust. Our boast reveals our gospel. If we boast in our wealth, then our, then the world is our hope. If we boast in our children, then our family is our salvation. If we boast in our righteousness, then the law is our means of redemption. Yet Paul warns us that we are not to boast in the flesh, but rather we are to boast in Christ alone. Why? Because all other boasting will turn up empty. But those who boast in Christ will find life everlasting. The first thing that we see in our text is that every Christian is called not to boast in the flesh. Look down at verses 11 through 13 of your text. Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not keep, do that not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now most likely Paul had a professional scribe writing this letter as he dictated it. We call this an amanuensis. If you like a big words and amanuensis. But now at verse 11, he takes up his own pen and begins to write in his own unprofessional large print. I can imagine when this letter was read to the churches in Galatia, the reader turning, uh, turning it around to show the church and say, look, Paul wrote it himself. Can't you see how bad the handwriting gets at this point? It gives a bit of emphasis and a personal touch to these final words of the letter. Again, we see the central issue of circumcision is addressed. This is the very reason that Paul wrote this letter. And he says that those who would seek to have these non-Jewish Gentile Christians circumcised are doing so. Their motivation is because their boast, their hope, their obsession is in the flesh. Their gospel is rooted in what the flesh can do and not what God has done. This obsession with the flesh is first revealed in their desire to avoid persecution for the sake of Christ. Now, we often think of persecution coming from the Roman Empire, and of course it did. But it was the Jewish religious establishment that was first persecuting Christians at the beginning of the church. It was the Jewish court of the Sanhedrin who had Stephen stoned. Paul, prior to his conversion, was persecuting Christians to protect Judaism from this new teaching. And it was the Jews who had Paul and Barnabas stoned at Lystra. And so many Jewish Christians were seeking to placate their more zealous countrymen 
by practicing circumcision. This was the thought. You see, it was blasphemous for Jews and Gentiles to mix together as they were doing in the churches. And so they thought if we have the Gentiles circumcised, have them converted to Judaism and then follow after Jesus Christ, then the offense would be lessened, peace would be established and the persecution that is coming against the church will be avoided. It seems like a pretty good deal. If we just have these men circumcised, we will no longer be persecuted. But to require circumcision is to undermine the very heart of the Christian gospel. For we are not accepted by God into His family through outward works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And even those who require circumcision could not themselves obey the whole law. Even as Paul says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They place the law upon themselves through circumcision, but they cannot obey. Second, their obsession with the flesh is revealed in their reliance on outward works. You see, they desired to have these Gentile Christians circumcised Because it would be a win for the team. It would be a tangible sign that they had recruited more Gentiles to the Jewish side. Their ministry, therefore, was not for the glory of God, but rather for the glory of the flesh. Because it was rooted in outward circumcision and not inward change lives. It's so very easy for ministries to fall into the trap of boasting in the flesh. Obsessing over what man can accomplish. When ministries are more concerned with attendance numbers than souls that have been attended to by the gospel. When ministries major on right and ritual and minor on the work of the Spirit and change lives. When we are more concerned about the budget numbers than people's love of money. You see, when we boast in the flesh, we can easily confuse what our money and resources can buy with what only the Holy Spirit of God can accomplish. For we can build big, beautiful buildings, but only Christ can build His church. We can provide entertaining or professional atmospheres to fill the pews, but God alone can draw sinners out of death into life. We can provide all the outward signs of doing things right, but if our hope is in numbers and budgets and buildings and programs, then we are boasting in the flesh. We are obsessing over the work of our own hands. You see, fear of the flesh and glorifying in the work of the flesh. If we would boast rightly, we must not boast in such things as these. For the flesh will provide no salvation. So what then is our boast? What is our hope? Look at what Paul says in verse 14. He says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It is not uncommon for children to have an intense interest when they're young. It's a period in childhood when they can become obsessed with a particular 
subject matter. And this intense interest can begin around 18 months of age and continue for several years. I'm sure that you guys are all familiar with this. For who hasn't met a little boy obsessed with dinosaurs or trains or sports or a little girl who is obsessed with dolls or animals or princesses? You speak with one of these dinosaur-obsessed kids and all they want to talk about is which dinosaur would win in a fight between, for example, a pterodactyl and a velociraptor. And they go into all the details. Well, a pterodactyl can come down from above. A velociraptor has, you know, these claws. And you try to change the subject and talk about something different and they all just pull it back to dinosaurs. Now, for some parents, this obsession can become annoying or concerning, but... Psychologists have observed that it's actually a normal and healthy way for children to form their cognitive abilities and a sense of who they are within the broader world. It gives them an identity. So if you have a child like this, there's hope. And the reason I bring this up is because when I read Paul's letters, particularly verses like verse 14, I think Paul is a bit like These obsessed children. But instead of dinosaurs or trains, all he wants to talk about is Christ. Everything comes back to Christ. It's not just a part of who he is. Christ is all that he is. For he says to me to live is Christ. Elsewhere he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. This is his hope. This is his life. This is his gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. We must see how odd this would sound to the Galatians in the first century. But the cross was a Roman form of execution that was not even allowed to be used on Roman citizens. It was such a barbaric form of death that it would have been considered impolite to even use the word cross in social settings. Earlier in Galatians, Paul highlighted the Jewish view of the cross when he quoted the Old Testament which says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul is saying, my hope for salvation, my hope for deliverance from my sin and the struggles of this world is in the torturous, cursed death of Jesus Christ. I boast in the cross of Christ alone. Why? Why would he be obsessed with the death of Jesus? Well, he tells us. Because it's through the cross of Christ that the world has been crucified to Him and He to the world. This is His place of freedom. This is His place of deliverance from the curse of this world. Through faith in Jesus Christ, His death becomes the death of the believer. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have been set free from the brokenness of this world, beginning with your own sin, your suffering, your death. For in Christ's death, your death has been defeated. You could imagine Paul's obsession. Is there a hardship or a disease or is there pain? Is there persecution or tension or anxiety? Is there guilt or fear of death? The cross of Christ is the answer to all of these struggles. For they are all rooted in the sin and fall of humanity. But through the cross, we who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone have been set free. 
As Paul says earlier in Galatians, I have been crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The boast and hope of every Christian is that Christ has been crucified. And through His death, we have died to the brokenness of the world. We have been set free. And the world's brokenness has been crucified to us. This must become your boast. This must become your hope. When you are struggling with life's hardship, don't seek escape through entertainment. Don't stoically bear it. Don't ignorantly ignore it. But but take it to the cross of Jesus Christ and crucify it. For there guilt has been crucified. Fear has been crucified. Anger has been crucified. Lust has been crucified. Disease and pain and death has been crucified. The cross of Jesus Christ must be our obsession because it is the answer to all of our hardship and all of our struggle in this broken world. The cross and the death of Jesus Christ is our life. But there is a catch of sorts. Because while those who place their faith in Christ have been freed from this world and from its suffering, we continue to live in this world. While we've been freed from sin, we still have to fight against sin. While death has lost its sting and will have no victory, Christians still must die. And so our boast in the cross is not merely a backward-looking faith in what Christ has accomplished but a forward-looking faith and trust in what Christ will do. The word of the cross is a guarantee of a full and future victory. You see, every form of a gospel makes a promise, a boast. If you follow these rules, if you give this money, if you perform this ritual, then you are guaranteed relief. But the question is, who is making this guarantee? Is it a nameth? Or a smith? Will the promise be fulfilled or will it fall flat on its face? You see, we are not to boast in the flesh, put confidence in the flesh, because the flesh cannot provide the salvation that we require. We must boast in Christ alone because He has sealed the victory. And finally, we must boast in the new creation because it is then and only then that we will receive the fullness of the promise of life. Look down at our final four verses, verses 15 through 18. Paul says there, returning to this central argument about circumcision, he says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You see, the flesh is not our boast. And therefore, circumcision is of no account. It counts for nothing. The only time it becomes a problem is when people start making something out of it. So what counts? Well, the Word of God says a new creation. You see, not only have Christians been crucified with Christ, but we've also been raised with Christ. 
We have been given the Holy Spirit. And we have entered into the future promised life of a creation renewed. For Christ has gone to prepare a place for His people. And when He returns, He will make all things new. He will not merely undo all the brokenness and hardships, but when He returns, He will properly weave all of them together into the story of God's redeeming grace and love to extend that all things will be shown for His glory and the good of His people. When the new creation dawns, all the hardship and suffering that we have incurred will seem as nothing. A light and momentary affliction preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. Not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, the hardships and the pains of life will merely be points of contrast to highlight the brightness of glory that is to come. For in the new creation, all pain and tears and sickness will end. And we who are in Christ will be raised from our graves. Our souls will be reunited with our new creation bodies. And we will dwell in the new Jerusalem forever as the true Israel of God. Boast in the new creation, Christian. Be obsessed with what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do in the future. Place your hope and trust in the power of His Spirit to form you into a new creation. Fit to dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. When you have pain, dwell on the promise that there will be no pain. When you are sick, place your hope in a land where disease is not known. When you face the death of a loved one, or even your own death, have the boldness to boast with the Apostle Paul. Have the audacity to taunt your enemy and say, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You see, as we follow this path, peace and mercy and grace will guard and accompany us along the way. Yes, there will be hardships and struggles and persecutions on this path. Paul even says that he carries in his body the marks of Christ. That means that he has physical scars from being whipped in stone for proclaiming Christ. He has outward physical signs that persecution is real. But he can rejoice in his suffering because his boast is in the new creation and not in the flesh. So what is your obsession? What is your boast? What is your salvation? Are you trusting in the flesh? Is your hope in what you can do to better your life and your eternal future? Or have you been so captivated that Christ and Him crucified is all of your hope and stay? The Word of God tells us that there is no other gospel than Christ and Him crucified. That the only way of salvation is through faith in what Jesus Christ has accomplished. So trust not in what you can do, but trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone, because there is no other gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you now and we do pray that you would deliver us from our hope, our reliance, our obsession with our own flesh and what we can accomplish and do to 
earn life in this world and life in the world to come. Help us to look to no other gospel but Christ and Him crucified, by which we have been crucified to the world and the world crucified to us, that we might live in the freedom of what Christ has won for us and the hope of what is to come. Make us a people obsessed with Christ. We pray this in His holy name. Amen.